0: Chapter 31 of The Goddess of Atvatbar by William Richard Bradshaw. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Nigel Fisher. The mystery of Egyplosis. The palace of the goddess at Egyplosis was a component part of the vast quadrangle known as the Supernal Palace. The view therefrom embraced the wide inner garden of the entire Palace of Temples, discovering jungles of shrubs and flowers of all imaginable hues, interspersed with lakes sleeping in their marble basins like enormous jewels. Fountains of solid silver gushed forth a brilliant foam of waters amid the embowering foliage, and there glad priests in the society of priestesses sweeter than the flowers themselves dreamed life away in enthusiastic peace. Surrounding all was the high and glorious palace, forming a background on the design of which imagination and art had been entirely exhausted. The scene the day following the ritual of installation of a twin soul in the temple of Egyplosis was a boudoir in the palace of the goddess. It was a large apartment whose walls were hung with panels of rose-colored velvet embroidered with grey-green silk foliage in one large tapestry. The hands of a loving priestess had embroidered a scene in the garden of. Egyplosis. On a dais upon a couch of soft red silk upholstery sat Leone, swathed in draperies of shrimp pink and pale peacock green, embroidered with ivory white silk. A large terracotta silk rug, whose only ornament was an elaborate border, covered the floor. The goddess wore a belt of Aqualium serpents, having tulips in their mouths. Heavy pterellium bracelets adorned her wrists, and she wore a diminutive tiara on her forehead. I sat on a luxurious seat, the sole guest of the goddess. I was rapidly learning from the divinity the mysteries of Egyplosis. I was especially anxious to find out how the jewel of one hundred years of youth could be grafted into the ordinary existence. An idea so splendid seemed to be the germ of earthly immortality. We were discussing the subject of hopeless love, and I asked her if she considered life and love were the same element. Life and love are synonymous, she replied. By love I mean the spiritual, ideal, romantic passion that is hopeless— yes i replied but does not the idea of inaccessibility create a worthless desire that is a desire for something that is forbidden or unattainable the majority of men i think will prefer an everyday love with all its risks and imperfections to the shadowy ghost of a hopeless love the hopeful love does no violence to nature such as is contemplated by the hopeless sentiment you hardly understand me said she The pleasure we aspire to is superior to any physical delight, and is an end in itself. It is romantic love that blooms like a single flower in the crevices of a volcano. It is the quintessence of existence, the rarest wine of life, the expressed sweetness of difficulty and repression and long-suffering, the choicest holiday of the soul. We are willing to pay the price of hopelessness to taste such nectar. In the everyday world such joy only rarely exists interest indulgence ambition fortune time temper and marriage destroy it youth captivated by a beautiful face or a winning smile thinks it has discovered its true counterpart and so takes possession of the prize it finds afterwards it was mistaken and all its life thenceforth becomes miserable but i replied if the world at large had discovered that your theory of love was the true one it would long since have acted on its discovery and put no destroying restraint or obligation on so precious a possession but the world found that a thousand accidents would infallibly open the eyes of both parties to the fact that they possessed but few qualities in common or in counterpart and with such knowledge of good and evil they would infallibly separate hence the foundation of society would be torn asunder and the rising generation of helpless children become orphaned of home the very bulwark of life society must have assurances that people do not get married simply as an experiment but are willing to honourably undertake the mutual sacrifice their act carries with it i have already admitted said she that a joy of spiritual love hardly ever exists in its virgin force in the everyday world i admit that the necessary regulations of society although they tend to destroy it must be enforced the atvatabar nation rests on the marriage idea at one time in our history the people strove for ideal love and overthrew the ordinary marriage yoke without restraint of reason law and order disappeared and social chaos reigned the land was filled with the wailings of orphans whose parents had deserted them and men and women formed new associates every day unbridled license devastated the country our lawgivers re-established the law of marriage as being the only law suitable to mankind man in the aggregate had not developed to a state in which the consummation of marriage could be dispensed with yet there were many among those who had advocated ideal love worthy of their theory although married to each other they had remained celibates for these Egyptosis was founded for the study and practice of what is really a higher development of human nature and in itself an unquestionable good it is the most powerful element in the production of creative energy of soul and personal beauty as you will have observed all our devotees are singularly beautiful in form and feature and possess spirit power to a high degree as the goddess spoke a few threads of her bright blue hair had strayed across her face her beautiful eyes flashed with the royalty of truth tenderness magnetism and feeling she was the living illustration of her claims for Egyplosis. What you say, I replied, illustrates that ordinary marriage, with all its limitations and infelicities, is absolutely necessary for the well being of society. Marriage is simply the application of reason and morality to blind, passionate nature. The home circle is the origin of nationality, progress, and wealth. Ideal love, wrested from the dragon of difficulty, is, I think, but rarely tasted in so real, so practical an institution. This is the experience of the nations of the outer world. And how much better for man that it is so a roadway in proportion to its rhythm of undulation becomes useless hindering travel rather than accelerating it so also with love when settled in the calm security of marriage the mind is freed from the romantic extravagance the torture the delight of hopeless sentiment thus men are free to devote themselves to the more serious purposes of life and achieve wealth and fame for themselves and their families I am nevertheless curious to see how your institution is conducted for hopeless love seems to me one of the most disquieting things in life its victims happy and unhappy resisting passion with regret or yielding with remorse are ever on the rack of torture they resemble the devotees of certain idols who pierce themselves with cruel hooks and are swung aloft in honour of their god It may be pleasure, but not one in a thousand will ever achieve that degree of soul exaltation and physical abnegation to think it so. And yet not one in a thousand, not one in a hundred thousand lives in Egyplosis, says the goddess. The men who achieve anything, I continued, good and great in the world, the men who build empires, discover ideas, who both rule and populate nations, are all rewarded by a hopeful love. It is only a hopeless love that sets up its mirage of false and never-to-be-obtained joys. Hence I ask you the question, what of Egyplosis? The goddess smiled at my controversial attitude. It is the old question, she replied, of conventionalism versus art, of economic institutions versus nature and life. Just as we endeavour to rescue spontaneous invention and originality from the disease of the tasteless and laborious productions of a mechanical civilization, so we labour to create an earthly home for the soul in a world where superficial necessities will stifle it out of existence. There was a time in the history of Atvatbar when people talked of art and love, both of which did not exist. The octopus of commercial, mechanical and economical life had strangled the soul in all its attributes, men fought for treaties of commerce treaties of marriage deeds of property and all the while acted in defiance of their obligations they cheated each other lied to each other deserted each other incessantly love had taken wings and fled art had lost its language and its cunning life was no longer illuminated with splendid ideals it was no longer arrayed in the fair fascinating garments that only the soul can weave history was no longer glorified by paintings and sculptured reliefs religion was no longer symbolized in the solemn magnificence of architecture or sculptured shrines of gods articles of daily use were made solely to make a profit and the widespread use of machinery was destroying the art the soul the pure life of the people a paternal government seeing the tyranny of commercialism and the possible extinction of the soul itself has wisely in the spirit of patriarchal hospitality established the art institution of naphistasia and the religious institution of edgyplosis for passions of the body and forces of nature love was the one great end of our religion for life is love i value your creed i continued to the fullest extent i value the idea that every intellect shall enfold a soul you practise the doctrine that hopeless love is that phase of passion that constitutes the most delirious possibilities of joy yet allow me to ask have you never discovered that there may be disappointments for even such guarded emotions as yours are your near fights perfectly happy we find in the outer world at least that no state or condition in life is perfectly pleasurable their joys die of their own ennui if for no other cause we find happiness like a flower it has its period of bloom and decay the more intoxicating the beauty the shorter its life happiness long continued grows common fades and dies then again the human soul is always in a fever of unrest it always thinks what is beyond its reach is liberty as one of our poets has expressed it. Oh, give me liberty, for even were a paradise itself my prison, still would I long to leap the crystal walls. As I spoke, I saw the goddess was an eager listener to my words. Was it possible that she might have an idea that even Egyplosis might indeed be a prison? But then her position, her vows, recalled to her the fact that she was love's religieuse, an indissoluble part of the temple of love itself the goddess replied that sometimes impatient spirits had entered the palace but any incorrigible cases of insubordination were either imprisoned in the fortress beneath the palace or were expelled into the outer world the neophytes entered the temple college while under twenty years of age each soul thereafter mingling freely with five thousand of the opposite sex chooses in a month its counterpart for life thus forming a complete circle the choice must be approved by a council of soul inquisitors, who, before the lifelong union is made, see that both possess all the elements that will produce a high, holy, and pure blending of thought, feeling, emotion, joys, spiritual, and intellectual, whose every breath will be in ecstasy, and at the same time possess reverence for each other, and the power of resistance to passion, and are able to walk in the pure path do you not think i replied that the temptation being ever present the struggle in the soul must in time exhaust and enfeeble the moral powers producing disastrous consequences before the goddess could reply a terrible commotion was heard in the palace garden the shrieks of a woman mingled with the loud voices of men were heard in furious clamour and one of the royal guards entered the palace chamber in a breathless haste end of chapter thirty one